Hello, my name is Tanai and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. For years, I tried to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, and I realized that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy, and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. Today, I have Riva Wild here with me. She is someone that I met at ISTA, which I've spoken about many times. She was such an expander for me on this on this ISTA journey because mm-hmm. this is a woman who shows up in her full expression, in her wild, just ups and downs, like truly connected to this animalistic side of her. And she took up so much space in all of her different sides of her. And at first I was like, okay, she definitely triggers me, which means this is an invitation. And I I told her about it and it was really an invitation for me to step into different expressions of myself that I wasn't giving space to. And that, and you know, that part of me, that's like, is this too much? What are people going to think? So I'm so grateful for her that she invited me to step into that without even knowing. And and now she's taking on an entirely new adventure for herself. And I'm so excited to talk to her about it. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tanai, for, yeah, inviting me in here. And also like in that training, inviting me to, yeah, witness you and be with you in that moment of you recognizing kind of the trigger, the expander, the, oh, you're expressing something that I want to express and want to be. Yeah. A really powerful place to lean in from. And it felt, yeah, just, ah, yeah. A beautiful mirror for who I've chosen to be. And especially that piece around wildness. What is it to rewild? What is it to be in the full expression of our human experience and not be afraid of that? So Thank you for leaning into that moment and then inviting me onto your show. Yeah, I know. We've been waiting for this for so long. Speaking of of rewilding, I think that's such a great place to start from Um, because I have a feeling that that's kind of part of your mission in the world and what you invite people to step into. So, So let's start there. What is kind of your mission and what you like to bring to people and how did you come about it? Rewilding is definitely a big piece of that. I think the mission that's really alive in me is to invite people to recognize where the patterns that we experience of feeling small, feeling like we can't speak up, feeling like we can't express the way that we want to, feeling that we can't be attracted to the people we're attracted to, that we can't express our sexuality, that we can't express our desires, our needs, that we can't speak those, is a recognition that this comes from Like in our language, we can track back to 4,000, 5,000 years ago when we had kind of the big agricultural revolution of humanity. We can track our trauma patterns and that thread of, yeah, this stifling of humanity, this trying to control humanity's feeling and expressing what often we call in kind of like the shamanic, erotic, tantric worlds, like the feminine, the expressive, the feeling, the receptive aspect of all humanity, that that part was has been really choked for thousands of years and to invite people into powerful containers with 
movement, with sound, with their aliveness, but also with the stories that we've been taught to carry. Oftentimes that aren't our own or created from ourselves, but are reflected from the world and we absorb and we create then our own stories from that of this is who I am and this is how I need to live life. When there's this completely different reality that we get to experience when we start questioning those stories and getting spaces to experience breaking those stories and seeing what emerges through that kind of very feminine destructive process of the pieces we've been taught we are into what's actually true underneath. Mm, So beautifully put. What was that process for you? I'd love to hear about who were you before this work and then what invited you into it? Mm, A gorgeously long, long story, rather short. (laughs) I, yeah, I was the fat girl in school. I was in a very small rural school in Canada and there were probably 11-ish girls in my grade and I was one of the biggest. There were two of us who were kind of in that space of being like the big girls and everyone else was the, were these really like fit, tiny, gorgeous human beings, but also because of this 5,000 year story that many of us have experienced of I'm not enough. We start playing the hierarchy game and this happens really intensely in school. It's like, who are the cool kids? Who are the not cool kids? What happens to the cool kids? What happens to the not cool kids? And I was extremely bullied. I was extremely disconnected from my body, which when I was little and kind of before school, I felt very connected to. I was very much in mud, being wild, very expressive, romantic, five-year-old girl with like multiple imaginary boyfriends and girlfriends. And this experience of school and then going through puberty and that continued thread of my body is the problem. My body is going to block me from love and from experiencing what I want to experience in the world became the access point that I started kind of questioning this story of, am I not enough? Is that true? Is that like a true story? Is this thing in me that keeps thinking I'm broken, keeps thinking I have to improve, keeps thinking I'm a problem? Is that true? And the first place I started getting to question that was in university through dance. I found this really powerful dance modality that kind of broke free from the try to make yourself look good and shimmy your tits like this in a Zumba into can you move your body in a way that feels good for you? Can you invite an expression that's really truly you? What happens when you're holding that like no one's actually judging you in this room except themselves? And can you drop the judgment you have for yourself and actually get into your body? And this was really the catalyst that brought me to uh, energetic healing, shamanic work, deeper ecstatic dance experiences, uh, cacao as a plant medicine, deeper earth medicines, and started unfolding this deeper journey while I was in school for sexuality, relationship and family studies for what's the merging between like body image, self-love, dance, and these now spiritual threads I was getting connected into to marry the deep science, uh, understanding of trauma that, well, social science, I guess it was more of a social science and a science science, but to understand where sexuality and trauma and body image were meeting, because that was my biggest thing. It's like, how do I fall in love as the fat girl? 
We don't give us, we don't get a story for the fat girl falling in love, the ugly girl falling in love. And when we're all taught that we're the ugly girl, even men all taught that they're the ugly guy or there's something wrong with them. Or even if the pretty, they're the pretty guy, they're not enough, like that endless ladder. Where do we fall in love? Where do we create meaning in our lives? When does our life become really meaningful? And this has started to emerge, the body of work I was working on over the last couple of years, Erotic Embodied. And now this beautiful new project that's emerged, I was chosen to be a part of holding this amazing, it's kind of sister to Ista in a way. It's been named kind of a, uh, the dark feminine mystery school of <laughs> in kind of connection. It's like, oh, that's the feminine is that. Um, and this is Wild Grace. This was kind of founded by an amazing woman named Sigourney in Australia and is this beautiful, yeah, kind of like a shamanic sacred sexuality school that teaches other people how to bring this work into the world. So I get to be in a space of now not only teaching this work for years and going deep into this work personally to fall in love, have better orgasms, experience, you know, the gambit of being the sacred slut at a kink party to, yeah, just falling in love in a really profound way, how that's all then turned into what is it to invite people deeper into their own expression and to be able to hold space for others to really choose that their truth and their expression and their freedom in their eroticism and in their bodies is possible. And then to dance naked around fires covered in mud with it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of naked, that's actually one of the things that I appreciated the most in you that you did most of the workshops at Ista naked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the being naked is something or like the benefits of being naked is something that you can only understand when, when, when you go through it. Right. Which is, it's just that, that freedom that you get. And it's what I hear in that class that you took that that's like through that class, it's such a spiritual experience, right. Of not having to think about what you're doing, but instead letting your body take you and surrendering to that, which to me growing up, which was such a struggle also just feeling extremely insecure about my body and thinking about how do I need to stand? How do I need to walk? How do I need to smile? Like every single possible way that I needed to be for a man to like me. I even, I would watch Rachel McAdam movies to learn how she smiled. Right. And like, I, I would learn their like, mm -hmm. right. Like how did she, I, you know, she has like eye fucking eyes. I like wanted to learn how to eye fuck people, you know, it was like, how do I, how do I become this elusive, like manipulative, like seductive woman that could attract any man that I wanted. Mm. Yeah. And it's like this false power, right? I love that you asked the question, like, how, how does a fat girl fall in love? You know, because to me, it was like, well, I can't fall in love if I'm not super, super skinny. So how do I get super, super skinny and make everybody fall in love with me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear that story, like I hear it reflected in mine. And so many of the women I worked with back to when I was doing youth counseling with girls on body image. And like, I'm talking anywhere from working with kindergartners who are saying that they're fat and ugly and they need to lose weight. Like five-year-olds, kindergartners to 14-year-old girls that are in self-harm practices around this. And this is 
especially in the Western world, universal. Like our stats are saying that it, um, when I was in school, at least it was like 80% of women feel dissatisfaction with their body. But if you look deeper into what we're kind of being fed as the story, it's all, almost all of us are feeling this fear around our body not being enough. When I had an opportunity to work with a couple of um, models and supermodels, they had worse body image stories, like, like the most horrendous stories about their bodies that are the ones on the billboards, the ones that we're seeing being taught to be. And internally, these women are struggling with like every millimeter of their body. And yeah, I had to chuckle when you said the part of you that would watch Rachel McAdams for like, how do I, I fuck people? How do I become that like seductress? And it's interesting, like being with like the levels that we've been taught to go to, to try to receive love. Yeah. The change, like what I see is like, how can I change? I can get whatever I want. So how can I, how can I get the change that I want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause my thing was always, um, I, I hated my breasts. But at the same time, I, I had like a deep background in law of attraction since I was 15. And so I just had it in me. I always get what I want. If I want my breasts to look a certain way, then they're going to look a certain way. And I almost had, I almost got breast surgery, which I like have no judgment around for people. But what I genuinely wanted was just to be happy. Like I, I was actually really scared of the surgery. All I really wanted was to be happy with my breasts. So it was like a twisted law of attraction where like the real desire there is I can get whatever I want, which means I can be happy with myself and not, I can get whatever I want, which means I can change to get whatever I want. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part of um, kind of the, the, the challenge of experiencing kind of like a patriarchal colonial culture for thousands of years And also like you and I are both in this space of like self-improvement, learning, what is it to create more of the life that we're wanting that can quickly start going up this patriarchal colonial ladder of I need more and I need better and I need more and I need better. I need more and I need better. And it continues this kind of, how would I decide? It's like the, the monster of consuming, but then it's never enough. We're never satisfied when we have the moment of receiving, oh my God, I'm on the beach. This was a realization a few weeks ago, even for me, as I was in the human stresses of taking on a big, like monolithic business, sitting on the beach being like, holy fuck, I fucking love my life. I love being on the beach. I love that there are waves right now that I get to go play in. I love the tacos that are going to be coming on a platter to me. Like years ago, this was my dream life, but we get to these spaces and moments where it's like, I'm not actually drinking in the meaning. And everyone's at that point in their life from what I'm tracking. You are, I am, all of us are having moments of our life where it's like, wow, this was a part of what I wanted. Whether it was to leave the relationship that we're now in the devastating parts of like putting ourselves back together in the experience of that release of relationship. We wanted to be here. We wanted to be in that space of clearness from that relationship. Yet there's a part of us that gets so stuck in like, oh God, I'm here. This is the worst. Ah. <laughs> right. The tendency, like the egoic tendency of looking for problems, right? Oh, we love problems. Yeah. You're just reminding me of how, when my sole goal in life was to lose weight, I'd then lose it and stay there for maybe like a month until I gained it again, because 
it gave me no problem to solve. It, it didn't feel safe to actually not have problems. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Talk about uh, a global trauma response that's been happening for a very long time. Is this, and this goes deeper into kind of the methodology base that I come from. But when we look at the last 5,000 years and then 10,000 years of human history, and like we go like big, big, this piece around, it's a problem. A part of me is a problem. Part of you is a problem. There's problems happening. And I want to acknowledge like there are fucking painful, like tragic, awful things that are happening in the world. I just survived a hurricane and witnessed people's roofs flying off. Like I, this is not bypassing that there are painful devastating moments of being human and being alive and also to recognize the part of us that's been taught to be like oh this is a problem this is a a bad thing and where it gets labeled this thing that needs fixing instead of something that we want to care for and that shift offers so much more spaciousness to ourselves because usually the biggest problem we think we have is ourselves I have to fix me instead of or shifting that to what happens when I deeply care for me and the aliveness that's here and cultivate that, which rethreads at least me back to the rewilding, the nakedness. What is it to be with our true form? What is it to be with our birthday suit? What is it to be with the fact that we were all born naked, yet we live in global social cultures that say it is not okay to be naked, that say it is shameful, that say it is a problem, <laughs> going back to the problem piece, that say- yeah. It's automatically sexual and then sexual is labeled bad. What happens when we can reclaim that it's actually deeply okay to be naked and that when we're naked in spaces together where there isn't a pressure to be erotic or not, to do it or to not do it. It's like, there's no pressure to be anything but yourself. Even then it's not a pressure, it's an invitation. What starts unfolding for our human psyche of, oh, wow, like I, there's something cellular that remembers this. There was a time before shame where clothes were an option based on whether you were cold or not. And there's this deep power tonight that you were speaking to of this liberation that starts unfolding when we can start to connect more with first our naked selves and witness our naked selves in the mirror and be alive with that and be with the witnessing of the parts of us that will automatically go into that fixing, that judging that this part isn't enough for love and this part isn't enough for a meaningful life. And this part means that I won't get the job that I want and I won't live a powerful life and start to be in that deep reclamation of the feminine, of the body, the messiness, the the squishiness, the aliveness, this physical form. When we talk about Tantra, the feminine is the matter. It's your phone, it's your laptop, it's the earth, it's your food. It's like the things that you end up manifesting in this life, all the different things. And you, that's the feminine. And we have so much judgment and manipulation and control through kind of the distorted patriarchal colonial masculine lens we've been living in for thousands of years. When we can start to shift our lens into deeply holding and caring for the feminine. Also tracking and caring that all beings are carrying micro to major pieces of that 5,000 years of trauma, micro to major. We can start to have a different experience of our bodies, of our responses to different things that are painful in our lives and start to create that deeper space of approval and acceptance, which is the deep medicine of the feminine, of the receptive, the feeling of the sensing. 
is that acceptance and approval of this is what's alive and real for me right now. This is my body. This is my nakedness. This is my squishiness. This is my sensation. This is my sound. These are my hairs. And they grow in a lot of different places. Even though we're taught they're only supposed to grow in one. All those different pieces start to become this deepening of reclaiming what it is to have come from wildness, to have to be, uh, what is it, cousins with primates? To really be in that deepening of, I'm actually a wild being and it's okay for me to be wild. Uh, I could hear you speak for hours like that. It's just so poetic and inspiring. And <laughs> something that came up for me was just also the, the fact that, you know, so many people live very disconnected from their emotions and it's so correlated to yes, the opposite of the nakedness, like all the layers that we wear all the lies that we tell the masks we wear actually also keep us completely disconnected from what we're feeling and the aliveness, like you said, Mm -hmm. what was that process like for you? Like, as you shed those layers, Mm -hmm. did did you feel that the emotions started surging? For me, I imagine that dance was that first catalyst into emotion. When you put the body in motion, usually the emotions start to flow and come through. And for me, yeah, this experience of starting to allow this expression, allow this space that I had shamed for so long and been so stuck in, this is a place I'm stuck in and started to move it and feel that this space that I live in is actually really liberated and can move in really beautiful ways that feel good. And it gave this, this conduit, this channel for all of these different emotional processes that I'd stopped that kind of the trauma response of like, oh, this is too much to hold or to feel right now kind of got closed in because there wasn't a channel to just let it flow, to let the space of like me being called ugly, of me being bullied, of me being beaten up when I was a kid for the body I came in, the pains of my mom working a lot and loving her and her and my dad just working a lot. All these different pain points in my life suddenly started to come through dance. (sighs) I'm almost in tears. It's like this space to be fully with that part of my humanity. We have socially and culturally been cut off from our emotion for thousands of years. And I'll say that probably a hundred times in this podcast alone, because it takes a while for our brain to really take in. Like I only have 28 years as a human being. I've only been here 28 years. This is 5,000 years. I will never see that much time. None of us will. None of us have. And that is what is impacting us not expressing. And to then have access to that, to have access to my rage around various different things happening in the world, to have access to my devastation around what's happening in the climate, to have access to the grief in losing my grandfather and having access to also like these like more painful emotions that we've been taught to hide for a very long time. It also gave me access to some of the deepest ecstatic, joyful states of being on a boat, watching dolphins underneath the front of it and just bawling my eyes out, crying in joy, like laughing, crying. My partner says that's the place where they meet God is in the space where you're laughing and crying just as loudly as each other in a moment. And this is where we really meet life, that this is this amazing, wild, strange, painful, beautiful, loving, magical, ecstatic ride. But because we've socially been put in the box of our emotions are supposed to be this size and taste like this and only come out in moments like this, 
we've lost so much connection to our humanity. So for me, dance was this first catalyst and then getting to experience the work of ISTA and go through deeper emotional processing work around mm, various different aspects of my experience of being human, being able to scream, being invited to stomp, being invited to rage and also to cry and also to do those motions with like ecstatic joy and just giggle the entire time and be in like a giggle orgasm about it. I've also accessed that in emotional release processes. It gave me access to more of me and my truth instead of all the clogged up shit and stories that are all tied up in that. Wow. Speaking of, of those stories, you're in this position where, like you keep mentioning, and I can't wait to hear more about it. You know, you, you've taken on a big project. You're taking on something big, a big mission in the world. How did you get to this point of like, I can hold this much. Like I got this, you know, cause especially like, I love how you talk about specifically for women, like having this much wasn't, you know, ever really accepted being in this position of feminine leadership hasn't been, you know, a thing for thousands of years. So I'm just going to let you take it from there. <laughs> Part of it was continuing to work with coaches and other people to like be with the edges of my having this in little things, really being present with my food. This is something we're often taught to rush is food. And this was the micro place where I started playing with. Can I fully have this moment with my favorite mango with avocado drizzled with a little bit of maple syrup and cinnamon? Can I actually really be with this instead of just like eating the whole thing really quickly and being like, oh gosh, I wish there was more and not actually having that bowl of mangoes. (laughs) And it may seem silly to practice from that space, but it's those little spaces that then create more space for bigger aspects. Another piece I was working with my havingness level around was with love and receiving love. And this is a big one because there's this part of us that has kind of been taught to be closed to love because it's been taught to be dangerous. This is a whole other story. But if you like watch so many of the romance films and like all of the ones from like 500-ish years ago when romance started to kind of come up, they're all tragedies. So there's this part of us that's like, this is dangerous. If I'm a woman, I fall in love. I might die. My daddy might shoot him. Like there's shit going to go down. Like I can't do this. (laughs) This like social protectiveness that comes in around receiving love. I'll be hurt if I'm loved is so connected in our global culture. Yeah, I let my guard down. So it was this practice of this slow opening to receiving. How are all the ways I'm being loved right now? by lovers, by friends, by even just like myself being in a space where like my phone's charged. Oh my gosh, thank goodness. Like things like that, little things and actually receiving it, actually receiving how much I love this life now. That was a part of what created the spaciousness to go on this journey in my business of uh, asking for high ticket prices, charging 2K, 5K, 7K for packages with me. That's something that happened over the last three-ish years of my life. And in that, being in kind of like the havingness of being able to be chosen for this global international teaching school of Tantra and to be a head teacher and a CEO of that, to be chosen for that. There were multiple people who got interviewed, people who had uh, the $100,000 in their hands, like, I'll give this to you, let me run this. And her being like, nope, it's not you. A part of being chosen in that was the part of me 
that was able to receive and recognize the part of us that always gets caught in that imposter syndrome of I haven't learned enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not the person who can teach this, and, no, someone else is better at this. And actually to be in the havingness level and taking in of the education I've done, the probably hundred, $200,000 I've invested in my life at this point in time in, in education, in transformative spaces, in learning, in understanding relationship, communication, the last 5,000 years of history, tracking language in through ancient books and finding the seeds of shame and judgment in like thousands year old stories. This learning was deeply enough to have this and shifting the even like, oh, I'm enough for this because easily that falls down the ladder into, oh no, I'm not enough. Oh, I'm enough again. I'm not enough. But to be in the, I deeply want this and I'm choosing that I'm powerful enough to hold this from a non-naive place, from a place of deeply trusting myself as I've been navigating life and the universe to be like, yeah, I actually have like all the tools to be able to hold this and have this. And it's still been a learning curve. Like once got chosen and got to be in the big congratulations of that and then went on the adventure of where do I find $100,000 to invest in this business and to say yes to the yes that's like, fucking firing in my womb around all of this and it took that continuation of I know that there's a yes out there I know that there's an investor somewhere out there that wants to support this work specifically that has this and I just chose that it was easy it didn't mean that every day I felt like it was easy but I learned what it was to keep choosing this is easy and it took seven rejections. There were seven different people that I talked to, some three times that were a yes and then a no, and then a yes and then a no, and then a no, of receiving that no, I have this money and I'm not in a space to offer it to this project. I don't know if you've experienced rejection. It's challenging for our human selves. And to keep choosing, the havingness was in the, the choosing that I still want this. And that's what I've been teaching clients and myself in like love and relationships for years. It's like, if you experience someone saying a sacred no to you, inviting a yes, great. Your yes is somewhere else. They're just saying, please go on a different adventure. This isn't where it is. And I got the opportunity. Yeah, what I've found, what I've found in the no's, because last year I went through a big period without any clients. I just, I got like 30 no's back to back and it felt like it was it's like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, it was like, it was detoxing my need for a yes. It was building me up. It was like beating me down to the ground so that I could get grounded and rely on my inner strength, not on the outside. Yes. To then come up from that place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause we're taught to ride the highs of those yeses. A yes means I'm meaningful. A yes in relationship means I'm powerful. A yes to a client means I have more money, which means I'm more powerful. Like these different moments where we've been taught to get a high essentially off of, oh, I'm meaningful now. I'm important now without actually drinking in what those moments actually are and getting the moment to receive the no where we notice ourselves drop. What happens when it's like, yeah, a part of life is no. A part of life is pain doesn't mean it has to be all of it. We love doing the suffering thing and making it like a whole bunch of our lives. We've learned that <laughs> skill. It's a pattern. It's thousands of years old. I can show you a map of it. And to recognize that these are parts of life and we can learn to hold them with deeper acceptance and approval. And also love. 
for ourselves and humanity as we've all been experiencing this on different levels for thousands of years. This deep question of how do I craft and create and choose a meaningful life? And a part of it I found that has led me now here into being the co-CEO with like one of my favorite humans in the world. Her name's Freya McFarlane. She's fucking firecracker, amazing woman. I could not imagine anyone else to do this work with. It was the continuation to say yes to what I deeply found meaningful. And this work at the end of the day is what I would, gosh, stand on a pyre again for and burn for. This is the thing that I want to offer this life that I have, whether it's 10 more seconds or dozens more years. And that's where the havingness level continued to expand for me in love, in being deeply present and drinking in this moment of being human. Even in this conversation with you right now and with all of you listening, being in connection with, wow, there are so many human beings I'm now getting to be connected with. That's powerful. Sinking and drinking into the meaning of my bones to have the honor to be able to speak and care for life deeper. That's what's allowed me to have a beautiful partnership, a messy human relating partnership, a gorgeous one. They all are. If anyone is painting a picture of a perfect relationship, darlings, I love you. It does not exist. They're all messy. They're all human. We all trigger each other and it's gorgeous and it's filthy and it's hot. And there's a lot of healing that happens there when you can lean in powerfully. There's no business owner that's in this space of it's never been a mess. It's never been painful. It's never been challenging. But when you can learn to relate with those challenges with love, with power, with connectedness and with care, that's when I found that my having this level has gone from, I can only have a little bit to, I now have the whole world in my hands, or at least the whole world that I deeply wanted to have my hands on and in and to be the steward and carekeeper of. Yeah. Like with that reminder that you said of, I asked for this, this is the answer of the question that I had maybe a month ago, a year ago, two years ago. I'm curious for yourself and for people that you've worked with, how do you work through the fear of judgment of what will everybody else think? You know, I mean, oh my gosh, there's probably a thousand answers to this, but maybe you could just speak to it a little bit, especially now as you're taking on a business and, and you're taking yourself on as a CEO, doing things your way, right? The wild feminine way. A part of it is to recognize where we've demonized judgment and where there's a part of us that's terrified of judgment because it's become this like inner demon towards ourselves, breaking us down from our aliveness. And also when we felt it come from other people where it's pushing us down and that gets demonized because it's painful. We've demonized pain. But when we can shift our perspective to recognize judgment as a signal in ourselves and in others, and we get to go into this more like kind of like shamanic shadow um, conversation with judgment and starting with our own, like our inner critic, when you can start getting in curiosity and questioning with the inner judge and literally bring them up in front of you, what's their image? What's their face? What are they talking like? And ask them, what are you caring for? What are you actually desiring? When we can start to ask that of the parts of us or the parts of our talk that we've called demons that we've tried to push away, we've tried to exile. And we actually invite them in for tea or a glass of wine, depending on who it is. Shame always comes with a glass of wine with me. But with judgment, 
then getting the opportunity to ask, what are you actually caring for? And with every client and myself, every time I keep asking for the layers of question underneath what judgment's coming up in that moment, whether it's about my body or about me putting a typo into a post that goes out into socials and everyone can see it, or the part of me that's afraid of being seen as too much, being seen as not enough, that part of me, that little part of me that comes up when I get underneath judgment, always trying to protect me and invite me deeper into love from a place of accuracy. The inner judge is wanting accuracy. It's wanting this to look like this and us to look like that and this to go like this so that we're then powerful and meaningful, right? It's just been really twisted by the social cultural story by the 5,000 years. Underneath our inner judge is just our inner accuracy care about part. It's like, ooh, I definitely want this specific color in my bathroom because I'd be so fucking happy. It'd be so exciting. Oh my gosh, I just really, really want this place. But the way that that gets garbled up is like, you fucking idiot. Why did you buy that gray? I wanted the white, blue, purple color. And you bought like the gray. And then it just starts like destroying everything. Because underneath it's like, I so totally want this specific accurate piece. So when we're working with the fear of judgment and being judged by others, it's usually because we're judging ourselves because there's a way that our accuracy is wanting us to be, that we're still learning how to be because we're human. And that accuracy care about has been twisted up into this self-language that is so deprecating and pushes us down to try never to make a mistake, to try never to go get it wrong or bad, that we never get the opportunity to go and learn through mistakes, through learning, through our inner accuracy being like, oh, not quite this. Oh, please add some more white. Oh, I want just a hint more greeny bog monster in this color. Please, can we do that? Instead of following that, we've learned to stop ourselves because we can't get it right. And we can't get it right first. We can't get it right right now. So when we can recognize that our judgment monsters are actually just parts of us that are just these like inner children that are really caring about a specific accuracy because we think it could be so cool to experience life from that accuracy and that we would love life from that place. That's when we get to experience a lot more love and compassion for our inner judge that's trying to guide us towards what we really want. And also where judgment in other people, when we hear it or when it comes out, underneath we can hear the part of them that really wants to live an accurate life to what they've been taught and that the judgment is coming out as I can't be near someone who's expressing this because it's showing me more of where I'm not expressing me or what I want or it's representing the thing that I don't want so I need to push you away because I need to be the perfect skinny beautiful person with the perfect life and the perfect hair and the perfect nails and perfect body and the perfect uh, bikini wax and all the things to, to get love, right? And that is usually the process that has allowed me and my clients to shift out of being so terrified of other people's judgment. That's really usually our own judgment to be able to then go in the adventure of life, which is full of moments where like you get it accurately and then you take a step into a bog and ruins your shoes. And then you get to find new shoes and find a new journey and find your way back to what are you deeply wanting and choose to express that in this precious life that you have. Then expressing and choosing to just show up as you becomes the most valuable, important, accurate thing to offer yourself and to offer life. And anyone's judgment just becomes this like, oh, you really care about something and I don't represent that. 
cool. I'm going to go this way. <laughs> wow. You just worded that so beautifully. I'm, I'm like just so excited for, for people to hear this. It is such a powerful reframe. So it's, it's incredible how words can have such an impact, you know, just by saying, oh, it's just accuracy. It's like, wow, all of that heaviness from the word judgment dissolves away. Yeah. And it creates and you're interacting with something totally different than you thought you were interacting with. Mm-hmm. It offers this space to recognize deeper that all of the parts of us, including our inner judges, the shame monsters, the perfectionist, all the different pieces and parts, the, the lazy bitch. I love that part of myself. She loves rest. She's great. I love her. She does not mesh well with the, you got to do things and go places and do stuff is to get underneath that all of these parts that we've been taught are problems, the saboteurs. You have to go shadow hunt your saboteurs, your inner judge. What happens when it actually becomes, I want to go befriend these parts of me that have been trying to protect me using all the 5,000 year social story of how to do that and actually get underneath to be like, what are you actually caring about? And how can my inner central self I call this part my queen. Some people use king. Some of my uh, non-binary folks have used captain. They really like being the captain of the ship, like that center self has invited these parts down to their core. It's like, what are you actually wanting? If all of these parts are advisors at my round table, I want the most clear, precise version. So how can I keep asking the questions and going through the embodiment to get down into what is my shame actually wanting? Shame's always wanting belonging and connection and is afraid of losing that to the point of cutting ourselves off from parts of ourselves in order to be enough for the tribe or the the community, the group. So when I can hold as the queen, oh, I deeply care about being connected with other people too. And I'm also not going to sacrifice me to do that because then we're just miserable and it's boring. So let's go play a different game. And I appreciate that this part of me is tracking how am I belonging in kind of like the bigger kind of social narrative? And also where am I belonging and like feeling that sense of like, I'm creating my belonging here because I love these people and I love this place. Yeah, a lot of signaling the desires, which I hear a lot in just everything that you've shared today in focusing on the desire, just keep coming back to the desire. Like every time you got to know, it's like, okay, but I, I'm, I'm coming back to my desire. My desire is what's, leading the ship and connecting and connecting the desire with the deeper meaning because there's also the part that of me that's been taught to desire being skinny therefore then I will fall in love more and to be tracking the meaning that's underneath the desire and where it actually connects with your truth and where is maybe a desire being pulled from the social culture this is a whole other conversation for another day, but that's a beautiful totally, yeah. place to get curious with ourselves. Am I desiring this designer bag because I'm actually just so fucking excited about the bag and how it was made and like the color and how it opens. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this thing. Or is it, I'm excited about, this will mean that I'm powerful and then people will see me and they'll think that I'm important and then they'll want to buy more packages for me because I have a fancy bag and like <laughs> we can get into that space. It's still desire. It's still beautiful. It's human. It's a part of the learning. It's deeply okay. And what happens when we go a layer deeper and get curious with our desire? This is something you can do with desire too. What are you really caring for? What are you really wanting? And if underneath it is really just the thing, go for the thing. If underneath it is connected to the social story of I'll be meaningful and there's status and there's importance and I'll be important if I have this bag, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and to be fair, like I've been there. It's human. <laughs> it's so human. Right. Yeah. It's part of the journey, right? It's part of the journey. Yeah. And then you can choose from what's actually fucking meaningful for you. And that's where our deepest, at least in my experience, like this deepest experience of that connection with source, with the ecstatic, with life feels really alive. And at the end of the day, whether it's coming in the form of money or the form of love or partnership or adventures or just having a cozy nest that we love it all points back to that deep sense of meaning. What is deeply meaningful for you? So, so powerful. Uh, I'd love to hear what you're stepping into now and what you want to invite people to. Yeah, just, just tell us a little more about what you're working on and how can, how can people find out about how to get involved with it? How can people get a little, a little bit of Riva? Mm-hmm. Well, you can definitely come find me at the Wild Grace Movement on Instagram. I'm all up in there with our team. Uh, We also have a Mighty Networks, which is really exciting because then you get unfiltered kind of sexuality, eroticism, and just like talking from me and from our team at Wild Grace. And that's a really gorgeous space. There's also free events that we run through there and a really juicy, powerful, embodied community in what is it to be learning deeper about uh, sexuality, tantra, shadow hunting, uh, blood mysteries, for those of you who are interested in that realm, deeper embodiment, and also what is it to feel really comfortable and alive in our bodies and in our lives. So that's a space that you can come connect with me. You can also come find our trainings. There is one that will be happening in September, 2022 over the fall equinox, the 22nd to the 28th. You can come join us in Costa Rica for the official Wild Grace seven-day initiation, which is, yeah, kind of like our bread and butter in like the most juicy way you could think of bread and butter in your world. way of getting deeper into the feminine, into the erotic feminine mysteries and going deeper into what is it to hold both the trauma-informed care for ourselves and for others, and also the esoteric, the archetypal, the shamanic to really marry these spaces. It's globally certified with the International Institute of Complementary Therapists, which is really fucking powerful for this work. It's one of the only organizations in kind of like the Tantra and sacred sexuality field that is certified, which is really gorgeous and exciting for this work and for us. Yeah, it's really exciting to be a part of a global team that is caring so deeply for the threads of where caring for these last 5,000 years and the micro to major traumas that all of us are experiencing are learning and growing with, with kind of that esoteric, spiritual, shamanic, how do we connect in with the archetypal realms of the feminine and go into the deep kind of like shadow and light hunting and cultivating in those areas with the embodiment, somatic nervous system, deep kind of care for the body. It's really juicy there's going to be the opportunity to be naked around fires in mud. There's the opportunity to go deeper into the wildness of what it is to be alive. And also to then be able to continue to be able to teach this methodology and be able to get all of the different pieces of what it is that creates this initiation to be able to go and infuse this magic into your own work that you can offer as a wild grace practitioner. And we have a team of about 40 around the world, which is really exciting. 
That is, that sounds incredible, like magical. I cannot wait to experience this. And I'm just so grateful that we got to have this conversation. I'm truly like blown away by all your words. I am just, I really celebrate you and appreciate you and and just support you. You're just, I love more of you out there in the world and your passion. (laughs) Your passion and you're, oh my God, it's, it's amazing. I'm just, I'm your number one fan. I, I, I love it. Uh, so important that you're that you stand for yeah so thank you for thank you for your time and your all all the wisdom and love that you've poured into this hour together thank you so much for seeing me and yeah seeing the big wild badass in yourself reflected inviting more of that to come out and also thank you so much for, yeah, the space you've cultivated, the time and energy and effort and money and like all of the pieces, like to be able to hold a space like this and to be able to be doing what you're doing, it takes that. I hope that this can offer a moment of you feeling a little seen in the power that you're offering for conversations like this to happen in the world because these aren't the regular conversations happening in the world and they are motherfucking important. Yeah. So thank you. Receiving that. Thank you. Hey you, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Commitment Phobe. If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible. And we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. If you want to find out more information about what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode, or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.